The views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheel buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Parker Automotive, located 5101 East Speedway, phone number 323-1960. You can talk to guys over there. Excellent shop, excellent shop. They're another shop that believes you've got to find it before you can fix it. That makes three shops that I know of. One's Simmons, one's the Automotive Specialist, and one's Parker Automotive over on Speedway. Uh, excellent shop. Uh, go to their website, Parker Auto. Parker uh, Parker Auto, Auto. Hang on, I want to get it right. ParkerAutoAZ.com at three two three nineteen sixty. They'll be closed for the weekend because it is a holiday. It'll probably closed on Monday also. I think most places are. And also, we have three tickets now left over. For the race tonight at Tucson Speedway for callers one, two, and three. This is a late model show, and they got uh, the other cars are. It's going to be an excellent show. For callers one, two, and three at 520-719-1490. And it looks like the weather's going to be holding too, so it'll be a be a fun show at Tucson Speedway tonight. All right. Now, all is right, Brian back. back on? Yes, we got Brian back. All right, good, good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, okay, Brian, uh, you can go ahead and pick it up. I got another phone coming in for somebody telling me something. But go ahead, Brian. Yeah, like I said, everybody's paying attention to what's going on with their vehicles these days. They're uh, coming in and, you know, saying, fix it, you know, fix whatever's going on with this thing because I need to go over to San Diego or go on my vacation and I want to make sure that I get there not sitting on the side of the road, you know. And uh, it's really awesome to see people paying attention to what's going on with their vehicle when they're making a little noise that they shouldn't be. You know, they're bringing them in. We're getting them checked out. But like Jerry said, too, you know, these intermittent problems, these are the ones that really make us go crazy because – I can't fix it if it's not broken. It's it's just not possible. I mean, there's too many possibilities of what can go along with the symptoms that you're having. So, you know, sometimes we have to drive the vehicle, you know, 
go to the store, go to the bank, go home with all the equipment hooked up on these things because we have to see the thing fail. It's evidence-based diagnostics. We have to make sure that we're going in the right direction. And that's where, you know, we have to have enough knowledge to know what we're chasing. We have to have the theory in operation, a good part of it, because otherwise you'll never fix it. That's all there is to it. There's just too many possibilities with these codes that go along with it. Like I said, there can be uh, like a lean code. There's about 20 different possibilities that cause a lean code. You know, fuel systems lean, bank one, bank two, see it a lot. You know, people will go and say, well, they'll go to their big box store and they'll get their code pulled and they'll have a lean code. And one of the possibilities is to replace the oxygen sensor. And that's the first thing they do, go pop a new oxygen sensor in it. There are too many oxygen sensors sold. I, I don't think, oh boy, I've sold probably less than 10 oxygen sensors this year. And well, I can't tell you how many people come in here with their lean codes and say, well, I put oxygen sensors in it and it didn't fix it. What did I say before? Test first, don't guess. 20 possibilities for a lean code. Most of them are unmetered air going into the engine, meaning a vacuum leak. Nine times out of ten, it's that, not the sensor. And the proper way to test the sensor is to try and force it rich. You know, if I've got a vehicle that's sitting here, and the oxygen sensors run on a one-volt scale, okay? And if it's lean, it's going to be low voltage, down around 0.2, and stay there. Well, one way to test that sensor is is try and make it go rich. So what do I do? I become the fuel source. Go grab a can of carburetor cleaner and spray it into the throttle body if I can, or a vacuum line. If I do that and that sensor goes rich immediately, there's nothing wrong with it. Test first, don't guess. I mean, how simple is that to become the fuel source with your carburetor cleaner to spray it in the engine and monitor the voltage of that sensor and see if it goes rich? How simple is that? Well, it's not that complicated if you've got the equipment. And well, the that's the deal. That you you have to have the equipment. Clean. A code reader is not going to do that for you. That's right. That's right. And when you're talking, uh, going in and monitoring the sensors and stuff, uh, most of your, when when O2 sensor fails, it does fail to the, to the uh, rich side and it starts cutting back. It's cut cuts back the fuel delivery system, and the other well, it thing can go either way. Is, uh, that's, yeah, that's right. But primarily, it goes to the rich side, and that's when you start losing fuel economy and all that other crap, and it starts running and it starts trying to burn out the catalytic converter. So yeah, most of the time it will go to the rich side, and then you have a problem. But 
Uh, depends on with the different things we have, like the plastic intakes manifold. You know, I remember you telling me you worked on a Ford looking for an intake manifold, and it took you what four months to get one because there was none available. Yeah, how many Ford F one fifties did they make? Are you kidding me? It took months to get that you got intake it. manifold before yeah. we got it. And yeah. the reason I needed it was is because the plastic it warped. And it had a lean condition because the intake manifold gaskets were no longer sealing. I mean, we even went as far to put a set of intake gaskets on it just to see if we could get it to seal back up, and it wouldn't seal back up. The plastic was warped, and we needed to replace the intake manifold. You know, so, yeah, it's like I say, test first, don't guess, and hope that we can get the parts to fix your vehicle. I mean, like, I, I still have a Honda Civic here that I'm trying to find shift cables for. Now, there weren't a lot of Honda Civics that had a manual transmission. I'll give you that. But there was enough of them out there. But I can't I can't buy the shift cables. I can't even find the shift cables in a wrecking yard known good. It's not possible. They're not there. So here sits a perfectly nice little car, you know, mid two thousand, that I can't, I can't repair. Hey guys, you know this is becoming more and more and more of a problem with these automobiles today. Hey, you guys want to take a caller? We got Kathy on the line that wants to talk about hybrids. Bring her on. Morning, Kathy. Good morning. Good morning, Jerry. It's Kathy. How are you this morning? I'm fine. Thank you, Kat. Yesterday we were talking about yesterday we were talking about electric cars at breakfast. And my question to you is this morning I was reading my Facebook page and my cousin sent me, he just is looking to buy a hybrid. And we were talking about them yesterday Mm -hmm. and he sent me some information and we were talking about the Chevy Volt. Roger Dean Mm -hmm. Chevrolet in Florida. He has an invoice to replace batteries for a Chevy Volt of $29,000. And you had mentioned that yesterday at breakfast, that how much these batteries were going to cost to replace them. My question is, what are we going to do with the old batteries and where are they going to go? Okay. Brian, do you want to tackle that one or you want me to take it? Go ahead. On the uh, batteries, it's my understanding. Of course, it's it's evolving. The battery technology and electric vehicle is evolving. And the problem that they had when they first come out with these large batteries, they didn't have any place that they would tell us about that they could actually recycle these batteries. Now, I'm sure somewhere in my audience there is somebody that is works at a battery place or knows what they're doing with these hybrid batteries, the big ones. Now the battery technology has come to where you don't have to buy the entire battery. You can buy the cells individual. You can actually pull a cell out of a battery and replace it. That has got to keep the cost down. But in the older ones, it was just replace the batteries. You know, 
and I'll tell you another thing about the batteries, especially in the little uh, Prius. If you go in and you have to replace the batteries in one of your older Prius, what you want to do is you want to get the OEM battery. Bite the bullet, buy the battery. There's a lot of stuff out on the market, but the information I got yesterday on one was they put a set of aftermarket batteries in this Prius, and within six months they were replacing that battery again. With a, And then they finally wound up having to go put the OEM batteries in the Prius. So I don't know what the battery technology is in the Prius. I haven't seen any write-ups on it or anything like that. But this is from a guy that drives a Prius, and he was the one that had to replace the batteries in it. So I got that straight out of the horse's mouth. And so when you try to save a little money on batteries and you think a battery is a battery is a battery, you've got to make sure that that battery is what is supposed to be in that vehicle. Whether you like it or not has nothing to do with it. Cost, you got it has to work when it gets in. Not six months. That sucker needs to go about five years in these little electric vehicles. But so, uh, yeah, on the $29,000, that's legit. But one, you got diagnostics involved in that. You got everything in that. Uh, in order to, you have to find out why the battery went, be- went dead. Uh, why you're having such a problem with it, and it's diagnostics. It's just like Brian was saying, test first, don't guess. But, yeah, I have seen that, and I've seen a lot of stuff on the electric vehicles, but the hybrid batteries, the Volt is a full electric car, so, you know, and that's the one that GM is having the problems with now. A couple of weeks ago I put out where GM was paying $6,000 to people that had Volt cars that had, in order, they were rebating $6,000 to the previous owners with the conditions that they would not sue General Motors over battery issues on the cars. And another thing that we're saying on the Volt is when you charge it up at the house, most of you have your charging stations inside the house instead of on the outside of the house. As soon as these batteries are charged, you unplug them and push them out in the driveway so that they don't catch on fire or they don't burn the house down when they catch on fire. But that's a little problem that they've covered up really good uh, by not putting it out on the news media about these little fires that are being started by these batteries overheating. Now, Jim and I have bounced around on these batteries for quite a while, but now the ball's in your court. So when And they even have on the 2022, what is it, the Chevy and Ford? that they have a little bit of plug-in problems. And they're saying, uh, when you charge those, don't put them inside your garage to charge them. And I'm going, holy cow, park it outside of your house, away from your house. So, you know, it's not just one manufacturer. It is an issue because most of your manufacturers, I would have to assume that they're buying their parts from the same aftermarket or same vendor that everybody's using now because not everybody in the world has that battery technology or has stepped up and invested billions of dollars into battery technology yet. So everybody's kind of sharing parts like they did with transmissions for a few years. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a problem. That's a problem. But people just need to be aware that this stuff can happen. 
Now, for $29,000 for a battery replacement, that, that'll buy you a pretty good used vehicle. And when General Motors brings those little 150-mile range cars back across the border from Mexico to the U.S., that's supposed to be 20000 to 23000 Man, for a putt-putt car, a run-around Tucson car, that would be absolutely ideal as long as the infrastructure's there and as long as you have enough uh, juice in the electrical grid to actually service them. So all of that is evolving, so nobody needs to panic, but you do need to be aware of it. Does that answer your question even close, Kathy? It does, Jerry. I thank you very, very much. So you have a good weekend. You do the same, man. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, Kathy's in a business club with me, and I've known her for about 30, good Lord, 30-plus 30, 30 years. And she stays on top of them. She has a little Honda that she absolutely loves. And, um, oh, that brings up another little thing. When you're changing your uh, air um, cabin air filter, and you pull down the uh, box, the glove box, to go back in there and change that filter out. When you're putting it back together, make sure you don't hit the trunk release button. It most of them have inside the dash. Now some of the later model cars, they hide them someplace else, and it's probably electronic. But uh, when you hit that little button, it disengages the key fob, and the key fob won't open your trunk lid. That happened to Kathy when she had her uh, cabin air filter change, and it was just an accident. Somebody bumped it, no big deal. It, I don't know if somebody's uh, open line, but they're thumbing through papers, but I sure do hear a lot of noise on this line now. So, anyway, Brian, have you got anything you want to add to the hybrid or the Volt where it has the big battery expenses? Have you seen that yet? Well, like Mitch was talking the other day, too, I mean, there's going to be some problems coming along with this. I mean, like you said, the infrastructure. Are they going to have enough charging stations for all these things? Well, they haven't charged. You know, like they Mitch said, they took off stations. and went to San Diego the other day, and he said he had to wait for about an hour because there was a line at the charging station between here and San Diego. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Well, that's normal. And, you know, you can't, when you get into the mountains and things, the mileage that you can go on a charge is greatly reduced because the load that is put on that battery for that car to maintain speed going up and through the mountains. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a problem. And he also mentioned, you know, you got the cost of uh, the charging station at home which oh, yeah. can be, you know, oh, yeah. up to $1,500 or more. How about thirty? So there's a lot of things that go along with this. I mean, how how is all the motoring public going to be able to afford to do this? And how are they going to be able to put in enough charging stations for everyone? Well, if you look at even the solar panels right now in the state of Arizona, you see the ads all over the place. What you do is we will put your solar on your house, including a plug-in for your electric vehicle, 
at no charge to you. The way they see if you qualify is you go ahead and go online and you type in your zip code, your area zip code that you have for your mailbox, and they will tell you whether or not that uh, you can get this stuff for free. But they're going to put in free solar, free solar panels, and all of this for the people with certain zip codes, and it won't cost you a dime. It won't cost you a nickel. won't cost you a penny. They'll put it in for you free if your zip code matches. If you're making $21 an hour, and you get this, you get your uh, solar panels and everything given to you and all of this. I don't know how it works, but I do know that in order to put it on my house, it was $26,000. And I'm going, and how long will it be before I realize that I get my money out of this investment? 20 years. I'm in 20 years. I won't even be here in 20 years. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff to to consider, and don't get caught up in all this stuff. Now, I had a show here about a month ago, a month and a half ago, that a gentleman called me from University of Arizona, and he said, right now, I wouldn't have a full electric car. Hybrids? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. You got that little old motor sitting in there, and you're going to get about 50 miles per gallon. You got a backup electric or a backup gasoline, and you can go from here to California and back. All you do is put gasoline in it because that's a regenerative system that's in that car for the battery power to run it. And so, and I'm going, okay, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's what I would go with right now. Because the problem that they're having with the infrastructure on the electric plug-ins across the country is mechanical failure. That's where you plug it in, you sit there for 20 minutes or 45 minutes, and you say, okay, it's hot now, I'll just drive off. It's still plugged in. You rip the cables out of the charging system, and then somebody's got to come out there and fix that thing. Well, and I'm questioning, okay, how many people are sitting across the country that are qualified to fix these machines and get this thing repaired so that the motoring public go by will have more than one operating charging station out of six or two or three to get them back on the road in time. So if you're going to travel and you're traveling with electric cars, you have to do a little bit of pre-planning. It's kind of like running across the country. If you're going to stop at a KOA campground, you need to make sure that they've got an opening for you. So you plan it all out, you schedule it all out, and that's how you have to travel. So like I said, I think that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I wish they would come out with a solar panel that you can put on these cars to run it on solar, especially in Arizona. may not work when you get up into the states where it rains all the time and it's cloudy. However, it worked great in Tucson. So uh, the automotive industry is continually changing. You can't stuff an electric vehicle down somebody's throat especially when you base it on a 2005 emissions, and that is what you're saying. Oh, we can do so much better. Now, the first hour I covered that, and I'll tell you again, there's 300 – let me put my glasses on so I can get the numbers right – $369 billion allocated based on a study of 2005. How much better we can do over 2005 numbers? 
People, I'm in the automotive industry. I'm going to tell you, Brian will tell you, Parker Automotive will tell you, and your own shop will tell you. We are so far ahead of what the numbers in the EPA were in 2005, it don't even look like it's in the same world. That's how much further we are. So why in the world they didn't use something like a Use a 2019. I don't care. Use a 2018 and improve it from that, and then give us the BS over the line on how you're going to save us all of this stuff back there. It's already been done. So I'm, I'm waiting for somebody. I'm waiting to see a correction on this. They, they need to put the facts out. They need to put the true facts out instead of that. I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. I read that thing about three or four times. I said, I have got to be missing something. No, I'm not. Unless that article was in, and by the way, that 2005 number showed up three times in the article. And like I said, it was about a 20, 25-minute read on it. So it was, it was pretty heavy. But it was all fluff. It was all fluff. Anything based that far back, they don't know what they're doing, or they're just trying to sucker the American public in just to make it look good or to justify the $369 billion. So there you go. And they're not the only one that's going to be doing the band of cars from 2035. It's going to be Washington and Massachusetts has also joined California and the gasoline band by 2035. So there you have it. And I invite yeah, there you have it. out there in the you listening know, audience. I just took my diesel through emissions. And mm-hmm. it always amazes me when I go through 2005 Duramax. It blows zero opacity. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. And then yet they have to put all this other emission stuff on these diesels today. The DEF system, the big catalytic converters, and all the things that go along with it to make that system work. And I tell you, we've got a fleet of those vehicles out there with that system on it right now. And, boy, when those things break, you got to hang on to your billfold because it is expensive to fix those systems. The exhaust system on my Dodge is $3,800. And they said, in and the, the average repair bank, on those systems will, will go over a thousand dollars. I can guarantee you that. Well, there's other it? things what on it that can break. Like what? I'm just going to ask you that. What well, is like on the, the electronic? The most common thing back? on the uh, uh, on the Duramax is the ninth injector. Now, you're going to tell me. Well, what are you talking about, the ninth injector? It's an eight-cylinder motor. Why does it have nine injectors? Because there's a little injector after the exhaust manifold that when it goes into regen, it injects diesel fuel into the catalytic converter to burn off the soot. Right. And what happens is, is that ninth injector will get plugged with soot and it won't spray fuel anymore. So you get to go in there and replace that ninth injector and then force a regen cycle, which if you want to hear some noise, come down here when we're forcing a regen. <laughs> Things running over 2,000 RPMs. The fan clutch is fully engaged, and it's just roaring. And this process can take 10 minutes to a half an hour. 
to run its regen to get the soot to come down <clears throat> to hopefully zero. So it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a big deal. And one of the hot stolen catalytic converters now is on diesels because they're bigger. Yep. They have and they're newer, and they're taking them. I guess a Ford catalytic converter is worth seventeen hundred dollars now. You can take some of these things off of your uh, exotic cars, like your BMWs, your Mercedes, and stuff like that. Some of those up three thousand. Now this is not replacement. This is what people are getting for them when they steal them. Now for the ones of you that pay attention to the news here in Phoenix. They had, what, 1,900, and they found a place in Phoenix that had 1,900 stolen catalytic converters. Catalytic converters do not have a serial or didn't have a serial number on the catalytic converter. I think they're coming up with ID numbers on them now in our later model stuff because it is a massive problem nationwide, probably worldwide. I haven't checked that number. But I know it nationwide, and I do know that a catalytic converter is stolen on a car. If you have full coverage on your car, it's covered by your insurance. So you can get State Farm is just, they're paying thousands of dollars out. No, they pay millions of dollars out on getting catalytic converters replaced on cars because they can go in in less than two minutes. They can pull a catalytic converter. They can go down to a, a little shop or little scam shop and they can turn it in and they can pick up a thousand bucks for two minutes worth of work or if you get a f-150 you can pick up seventeen hundred dollars if you get something as big as a, a ford diesel gm diesel or a dodge diesel you can get up to three grand on a catalytic converter so it's big business and then people say well how are we going to protect it you can go into google there is a million things they've got, well, not a million, but there is a bunch of stuff in there that they've got. Everything from welding a frame around the catalytic converter that you have to cut off the frame. I've seen one of those. Cut off the frame in order to replace the catalytic converter when it plugs up. I have seen where they put bolts on them that have the heads on them where they're rounded and it'll take you about probably 45 minutes to an hour to pull that one off. And thieves don't want to spend a lot of time on there. So, people, if you're going to put a cage over your catalytic converter, make sure at least a technician can take the cage off of it when you need to replace your catalytic converter. But there is a lot of crap going on out there that has been and it's my understanding that the catalytic converter business is so big that the mafia is even in on it, especially back east, because the money is that good on stolen catalytic converters. They have them stolen in Tucson, too. It's not, it's not just a back east problem. They have them stolen in California. They have them stolen all over the U.S., okay, because the three materials that's inside of that catalytic converter have went have skyrocketed in price. You know, like a, over a thousand times what it was. So there, it's a very profitable business for the people who's got, got or too lazy to get a regular job. 
By the way, there's four jobs for every one person looking for a job now in the U.S. Four jobs. I heard the jobs report the other day, and they were telling about how many jobs they've created. First thing I want to do is get on my little high horse and say, how many business did you force to shut down and everybody lost their jobs during the COVID? And, of course, that's a hot subject, so we stay away from that because this is a car care show, not a um, politic show, so we'll stay off of that. But the jobs report, you know, not everybody that was working prior to COVID has gone back to work, so all the job numbers is about in my opinion only, not ESPNs, is about as weird as that 2005 survey that they based the emission standards on. That just blows me away. All right. What do you got, Brian? I'm, I'm going to get off of it because I'm getting wound up again. So I'm going to get off. You're the, getting off to the wrong to direction with, uh, there, huh? Yeah, I'm getting off to the wrong direction. Now, I don't want to do that. That's not what the show's about. And besides, it makes my hair hurt. Um, you know, we were talking about auxiliary batteries. Now, batteries uh, on the electric cars, you've heard us say three, uh, 24 to 30 months average life of a battery, of a car battery in Tucson. That's a 12-volt battery, and that's the average life of them. And it'll go, some of them say, well, I get, I, I get four years out of mine. Okay, you get four years out of it. That's not the average, but you get four years out of it. Hooray for you. I had a Honda, I just, it got 42 months out of a 42-month battery. I like to faint it. I, I couldn't, I didn't know that they could zero in on how long that battery is going to last in my Honda. I bought a 42-month battery, a Delco battery is an excellent battery. I replaced it with a Delco battery. I'm thinking, okay, if I can get 42 months on it, maybe the next one I can at least get 36 months on it. Because batteries have really escalated in prices like everything else that we buy to fix an automobile. Take a, you know, go buy yeah, a Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. Rate. You used to be able to buy a battery for less than 100 bucks today, and I don't know. I mean, these batteries are exceeding $150 today for these cars, you know. Oh, yeah. Buy, buy two batteries and, for a diesel and see how much money you drop. There you go. Uh, they are, they and another thing, there. too, remember... When that battery fails, you need to find out if the battery failed because the battery failed or did it have some help. That's why you need to do a starting and charging system test. Make sure that alternator is outputting what it should be. Make sure that the starter is working correctly. And last but not least, check for a draw. A, a voltage draw is something is on when the key is off. If you have that problem, you need to correct it. Otherwise, you could just put a battery in and it's going to fail again. You know, it could go dead overnight. So Here, you have few, to do the proper few, test. Be, a few years ago, Brian, I was reading an article on a, I want to call it a Mercedes, but it could have been a BMW, that the guy goes to the airport, he shuts everything off, he put the keys in his pocket, life is good. He goes on a two-week vacation, comes back, and his that Mercedes was not that old. That battery should have been fine. The battery was dead because the amount of electronics that's in these cars now, they stay powered up all time. Now, I noticed that when you actually disconnect or shut down the power grid in a car, 
and you think, okay, I turned the key off, everything is dead. That's not true. Is that correct? Not right away. It's I mean, not dead. some of these things. There you go. Some of these things will be powered up for 20 minutes to 30 minutes on some vehicles. So when you're mm-hmm. checking for a draw, you need to know that sometimes you have to wait a little bit, what I call That's babysit right. the car, you know, and monitor the voltage draw and see how right. far it'll drop down. You know, I've seen uh, a voltage draw of 0.2, 0.4 in the end when everybody goes to sleep, I call it. So these are things that need to be checked out. Because, you know, and another thing, the alternator is not a battery charger. It's a battery maintainer. So what I'm saying is, is if you have a dead battery and you go jump start your car and your mindset is, well, I'll just go drive it around for an hour and I'll charge that battery back up. Well, yeah, that alternator will probably do it. But, boy, it's stressing that thing out. I mean, if you do that, you probably will have a symptom such as you can hear that alternator just screaming underneath the hood there. Yeah, it's trying, but it's going to stress it out. I mean, you do that enough times, you'll take the alternator out. Guarantee it. And then you've got another problem. On top of that expensive battery, you've got an alternator that probably costs over $300 just for the alternator. So, you know, heads up. Uh, and when uh, for the people that have these electronic cars, now we don't have pack rats in Tucson, Arizona, do we, Brian? Not. We, we just don't have pack rats. <laughs> We've got lots Tucson. of them. So when you have a, a draw on the battery and stuff like that, if you live in a pack rat area or all of a sudden you get up and the car don't want to run, you say, oh, uh, okay, so you haul it into a Simmons or Automotive Specialty or Parker Automotive, and you say, well, when I parked it, it was fine. We should be intelligent enough, since we've seen so many of them, to say, do you have pack rats, especially when we open your hood and it's full of pack rat debris? <laughs> that puts us on a different diagnostic uh, venture. That's all you can say. It's a venture because you got to find it. And you can have a short from a pack rat, but keep in mind, if you've got pack rat damage diagnosed from a garage, if you've got pack rat damage, the first call that the customer makes is to their insurance company to see if this is covered because most of the pack rat damage is covered under insurance on a car. So that is another thing that can take out a battery because it affects the charging grid uh, the alternator, uh, if it, when you do an alternator, you just say, okay, my alternator, my, char- uh, my battery's dead. I'm going to change it. And you go, wow. And then I hear, hey, Jerry, I just changed the battery in my car, and it was only six months old. Is that normal? No, it's not normal. And another thing is, as Brian Fuller says, or Mr. Test First Don't Guess, contrary to popular belief, batteries do not leak. If you've got a dead battery in a car, there's a couple of things you need to look for. One is all the liquid out on top, unless you just poured cleaner on it or something like on a dry battery, and now it's got water sitting on top. They do not leak. And 
when you, if you've got a dead battery, most of them have access to the sides or the ends of the battery. Slide your hand down the side of the battery and see if the case is bowed out. If the case is bowed out, it's not completely flat. You got a dead cell in the battery. You got a battery that is no way no. Now you can change the battery. You probably have to in order to get it in to have it checked. But make sure you find out. Look at the date on that battery when you say, okay, I'm going to change it. And if it's not a date on the battery when you get a new one, you get your little white paint marker and you write the date on the top of that battery like I did on mine. And then you'll know how old that battery is without having to get out a magnifying glass and start researching the serial number. But if you'll if you'll do that, it'll save you some aggravation, but it gives you a more positive way. A battery that has a bowed case is a junk battery. Get it out of there. I don't care if it's starting your car, because it ha the only way you can do that is excessive heat inside that battery on the battery plates. That's what's caused it to swell out. So, and that's that's the redneck version of the battery problem. But that redneck version uh, comes with about eh, 40, 50 years. So it's pretty solid. And when you buy a battery, cold cranking amps, look in your owner's manual. You know, that book that puts you to sleep when you're reading it. Look in the owner's manual and see what cold cranking amp battery is recommended for your vehicle. Do not go under the cold cranking amp. You can go over it, but don't go under it because you will start having battery problems, then Brian will be pulling his hair out, I'll be pulling my hair out, and Parker Automotive will be pulling her hair out because all you did was change the battery, and now it just don't work right. Tell them the little story about the Chrysler's, Brian, on the wrong battery. Brand-new battery, wrong battery. What well, kind you of get low voltage. does that have on your system? You you don't have enough reserve voltage to keep this everything working. Um, the these vehicles they need to maintain over 11.9 volts. Otherwise, all kinds of strange things start happening. You can experience times where you've got communication codes, which means, well, to make it simple, just like in your office where you have multiple computers and they're all hooked together on a network, the cars are the same thing. But they call that, a, instead of a network, it's a bus circuit. It's actually communication lines between computers. When you first turn the key on, all these computers say, hello, I'm here. And they're checking everyone and seeing if everyone is there and present. If you have voltage that's getting below 11.9 volts, you'll start setting communication codes with module to module. What's the most famous code is the lost communication with ABS module. But you can have communication problems with body modules and seat modules and all kinds of different things. So it's very important that you have the proper battery in your vehicle. It's not like the old days where you just went and said, hmm, I'll just go buy me one of them cheap old batteries and pop it in my car. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not that way anymore. Battery. Yeah, That's no. it's not. And... On diesels, when you've got a twin battery in a diesel, like some of your older diesels out there, and you say, okay, my battery went down. Well, uh, so I'm going to go buy one but because they're so expensive. And so 
what you do is you have one battery that you know is dead. The other one is just a little bit weak, but you justify it by saying, well, the reason it's weak is because the other battery is dead. They probably pulled it down. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a reasonable way of thinking. However, it bit me in the butt because I was going to, I said, well, you know, this is ridiculous. That other battery shows like it's hot right now. Yeah, well, the only way you can test a dual battery in a vehicle is separate the battery. You have to separate each battery when you test the batteries in a diesel. And if you want to roll the dice and say, okay, well, I replaced the one, but the other one's still got some life in it. It'll charge up. It'll be okay. Anytime you start talking to yourself, you better get a hold of a professional on that because uh, I have already tested the waters on those, and my battery did last. It lasted three weeks, the other battery, and then I had to replace it and hoping that it didn't mess up the other battery that was in because you don't know why that other battery went dead. It could be because there's a bad plate in the adjoining battery. So when you do those, if you want to be safe, you're going to have to bite the bullet and you put two batteries in it at the same time. Then you check your charging system and you make sure everything's working like it's supposed to. Uh, wiring, before you start changing everything, make sure your cables are good. Make sure that your cables are clean. Make sure that your ground cables, ground around, around the inside is good. There's a lot more to it than what we used to do, like, you know, your old 56 Chevrolet, just pull the battery out, slap it in there, and if the darn thing will run, and this I love, if it'll run when the battery cable, you start it up, you pull the battery cables off, and it's still running, that means the alternator's running. Alternators have diodes in it. Those diodes can work perfect on a machine even, and you leave it on there long enough, and all of a sudden the diode drops off, and then you don't have an alternator charging full. Now they got variable alternators in them that instead of they just charge they char, they don't charge a battery they maintain a battery as the battery is needed they'll come on and all of a sudden they start shooting juice over there it's all computer controlled and they bring these batteries back up to where they're supposed to be if you have a old car or you have something sitting around the house like i've got a motor home that is not going to be driven on a regular basis I have a charger I put on the battery on the hood to maintain it. I have the other charger on the coach that is plugged into the house on a 110 circuit to keep those batteries up. Because if you don't, the one on the hood goes dead. You can make all, and I mean it is a monster battery in that thing for, to run the engine. Very expensive, $235 worth. And the only way I can maintain that is just put a little little cheapy main, um, battery maintenance on there, make sure that it's hot, and then check it with your gauges and stuff when you shut it off. Battery's still hot. Okay, fine. Then you put a little maintenance charger on there. And then you all you have to do is remember to unplug the battery charger when you get ready to use the unit, which should be common sense. But if common sense was truly common sense, Everybody would have it. Common sense is a gut-learned experience that says, whoa, I'm going to take that off my bucket list. I won't do that again. You know, when you get to that stage in life, which I already have, um, you you learn from your mistakes, and you'll save a lot of money in the process. 
What would you like to add to that, Mr. Test First on Guess? Oh, you, you got anything you want to say about the batteries and how to maintain them or anything, Brian? I think we beat how the batteries, batteries up pretty good there. Okay. The fact that you do have to service them, it's just like a brake inspection. When you do a brake inspection on these cars, do you uh, check the slides on the calipers? Are you checking them to make sure they're not binding up? Are they moving back and forth like they're supposed to? That's easy. Pull the darn thing out and put the some The big thing on. is, too, is are you checking the inside and outside pad? Very good. You know, you could Very have the inside enough. pad worn completely out, and the outside pad looks great. Yeah. You know, you need to be checking both, and that'll be the tattletale as to if you've got a caliper that's binding up. So you need to get a that's measurement right. on these things. Some people will go, well, i got 30% of my brakes left. 30% of what? Your 30% and my 30% and Jerry's 30% could be three different answers. you got to measure them in right. millimeters. They make little gauges for that. They're pretty cool. And, you know, if they get down to about yep. three, mil, three mil to two, it's time to replace them. Brake pads are eight to 12 millimeters when they're new. So, you know, you need to take a look at both inner and outer pads. And the next question coming up on that, what happens if you go in and you find your rotors has got streaks around the side, you know, little little grooves cut in the rotor? At what point is it necessary to replace the rotor itself? How far do you have Again, to be Again, there's a machine too. There's a specification for all rotors and they're all different, you need to look it up and find out what the machine two specification is. There's a machine two and a discard thickness. And who sets those numbers? The manufacturer sets those numbers. I mean, there's a minimum thickness because the thing is, is that caliper piston can only travel so far out of the caliper. And if you've got a rotor that's super, super thin, well, one, it won't dissipate the heat properly across it, and you'll have problems with warped rotors if they're too thin. Two, if they get thin mm-hmm. enough, well, you keep on pushing on that brake pedal, the brake pads go down, and they get thinner and thinner and thinner, and the rotor's thinner and thinner. And sooner or later, that piston's going to come right out of that caliper. I've seen it where cars have come in where there's brake fluid all over the inside oh, yeah. of the wheel. and and the rotor's worn down to nothing, and the brake pad caliper came out, and all the brake fluid's on the ground, and you got no brake pedal. And and the other thing, when you get to that severe on a brake job, when that brake pad comes out, it's got a metal backing on the back of that brake pad. If that thing jams up against that rotor, it'll blow that rotor up. I've seen that on a one-ton Ford. I mean, yeah, I've seen them worn right down to the fence. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It looked like and somebody the cu- machined them. Yeah. And then the, well, I didn't hear a thing. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, turn turn the radio down. It'd be amazing what you can hear when you turn the radio down. In fact, I actually recommend that. You know, people that are driving, about once a month, drive to the grocery store, which will be anywhere from a mile to four miles, five miles, and just leave your radio off. And listen to the vehicle itself. When you put the brakes on, does they, do they squeak? Or 
now you're noted, you're paying attention to the brakes. Do you have a little wobble in them? Do you have a little pulsation in the brake pedal? Uh, a car will actually talk to you. Is the engine louder? Do you hear something going tick, 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 tick that you want to use, you never heard before because you've already had the radio on and it masks the engine sound, but now you got a tick in it. Is your oil level up? It, because normally if you've got a tick on an older motor, it has something to do with the lubrication in the engine. So you check your oil. Do you check your oil once a month? No, you don't. I know you don't. Do you check your tires once a month? Nope. I know that too. Uh, do you check your spare tire? Nope, not ever because it's too much of a pain in the butt to open that back end of that SUV and move all the stuff that you're carrying in there because you may need it while you're going to the grocery store. And if you have a flat tire, it's going to look like you just un you'll probably get a ticket for littering on the side of the road when you go to clean that stuff out. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen people scratching their head. You know, they found everything but the spare tire. Oh well, you got to dig a little deeper in the mess, and they'll they'll pull the tires out, and then they go, "This thing's got no. This tire is flat." That spare tire needs about 65 pounds in it, that little donut tire. If you don't have yeah, 65 there's a lot. pounds in it, you may – go ahead. A lot to be said for that. I had a little Nissan – I don't remember. I think it was a Rogue or something come in here, all-wheel drive. They had a problem with their tire. They hit a curb and took the sidewall out on it. So they get their little tire out of the back, pop it on the car – and it only had about 20 pounds of air in it. Well, they proceeded yep. to drive from the east side of Tucson to the north side, northwest side of Tucson. By the time they got here, they had a horrible noise coming from the rear of the car. It destroyed the rear differential because that tire with 20 pounds of air in it wasn't as tall as the tire on the opposite side of the vehicle, and it took the mm -hmm. differential out. And you want to talk about an expensive deal, all because they didn't have enough air in the thing? Putting air in doesn't cost much right. at all, just your time, you know? So, you know, heads up, check your spare. Do yourself a favor. And for and those for of you that want to know where Automotive Specialist is, we're located at 3611 yeah. West Dinah Road. That's in the Michaels Bookman's Plaza in the southeast corner behind Checker O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's Automotive Specialist. Our phone number is 572-1734. That's 572-1734. You can also go to our website, which is AutomotiveSpecialistAZ.com. That's AutomotiveSpecialistAZ.com. You can go there. You can read about us. You can schedule an appointment. So look forward to seeing you all soon. And Lynn's Auto Brokerage. Lynn's Auto Brokerage. Dot com, 628 7500 at 2101 North Swan. Also, DesertRV.com. DesertRV.com. They specialize in toy haulers. And both of them have nice websites, easy to navigate, and their merchandise is listed online. So if you spot a car you want, pre-owned vehicle, they've got, they got diesels, they've got regular gas burner pickups, they've got 
gas misers. They've got medium-sized cars. They've got Jeeps out the wazoo. And just about anything you want. And plus, Brian says, if we don't have what you're looking for, call us. Let us know what you're looking for, and we will find it. Because they are also a new car broker. You want a, a new pickup? You don't want to go do the shopping? Call them up. Tell them what you're looking for, the color. Give them the whole the whole spill and let them find it for you and see what kind of money they can save you on it. Right now, I don't see anybody saving a lot of money on any of the uh, diesel trucks out there. Uh, they're trying to buy mine back for the same amount of money I give, give them for it in 2018. And so I know there's a shortage. I know there's a high demand for diesels right now. But there's going to be a high demand for the little gas miners because everybody's doing exactly what they did the last time we had a fuel issue. They're going to buy the little cars. They're going to buy the little putt-putts. And then they're going to drive them until the gas fuel prices come back down. Then they're going to be pulling these trucks out of their backyards, the ones that are used in primary for grocery getters. They're going to be pulling them out of the backyards. They're going to be putting them back in service. And then they're going to be selling these little cars. But that hasn't gotten to that point yet. But a lot of things going on in the automotive industry. A lot of stuff going on with auto repairs. There's a lot of stuff going on with automotive sales, new cars, used cars. It's just a lot of activity now. And uh, one of the things that I think is going to affect the used car sales is going to be the interest rates that we just had reestablished. And, um, well, yeah, I was reading the other day that the more. banks... I was reading that the banks are cutting back on giving out car loans. Well, Australia is, cut, is going to cut them out. If you're buying a gasoline vehicle, you, and they're not going to finance them. You're going to have to buy an electric vehicle to get it financed. Now, that's, that's just a rumor from a guy that uh, travels back and forth to Australia. And um, so I, I don't know how true it is. Makes sense. And uh, I'm sorry, how much time we got left? About a minute. All right, about a minute. Okay, 45 seconds. Okay, but we have covered everything this morning. Uh, I appreciate y'all hanging around and let me rant and rave about the deal with the uh, 2005 survey that you're basing $369 billion on, correct? Uh, I still call BS to that one. And that's my own personal opinion. That's not ESPN's or anybody affiliated with the store. But from all my sponsors, you guys don't drink and drive this weekend. Be safe out there. Don't text and drive. Brian, thanks for coming on, big guy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And until until next week, God bless. Have a safe weekend. Bye-bye.